MPB Think Radio. This is In Legal Terms, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Sharita Brink here with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And today we'll talk through some of the latest current events in the legal and political spheres. We'll talk about free speech in colleges after a recent incident at Auburn University involving a controversial speaker. We'll also talk about your rights as a passenger on an airplane after two national airlines have made headlines for physical encounters with their passengers. Do you think anyone should be allowed to speak on a college campus? Are you second-guessing flying after seeing those situations with those different airlines? You can call us at 877-MPB-RING with any comments or questions you might have. 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is Think Radio on MPB. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is the show all about you and your rights. I'm Sherita Brent here today with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. And today we're going to talk through some of the latest events in the legal and political spheres because they kind of tie together. We'll also talk about free speech in colleges after a recent incident at Auburn University involving a controversial speaker. And we'll talk about your rights as a passenger on an airplane after two national airlines have made headlines for physical encounters with their passengers. So we'd love to hear from you this morning, listeners. Are there any current uh, events in the legal or political political spheres that you'd like to talk with us about, give us a call at 877-MPB-RING. Do you think that anyone should be allowed to speak on college campuses, uh, whether they are polarizing or not, controversial or not? Or also, do you think you're having second thoughts about getting on these airplanes after we keep seeing things in the news about various situations on these various airline flights? 877-MPB-RING is the number, 877-672-7464. You can also send us an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Good morning to you, Professor Gershon. How are you today? Doing great, Sharita. Good morning. And uh, I'm getting ready to run the 10K at the uh, Double Decker Festival here in Oxford. We're all looking forward to that this weekend. And so if I'm not on the show next week, it's because I'm still out (laughs) on the course. So how long have you been preparing for this race? Oh, gosh, about 40 years. <laughs> I've been running for a long time and, and uh, love running 10Ks, and this was a lot of fun. And, you know, Oxford Tilly, though, I will say as I get older, I, I get to spend more time on the course, which is nice. Good. Well, I hope you do well, and I hope you survive so you can be on the show next week. That would be great. Um, so there are lots of things to talk about. We just decided to make today a current event show because there's so many that we can talk about and uh, get into other topics in the midst of talking about these particular um, articles and stories that have been in the news lately. Uh, one bit that I just heard as we were uh, getting ready for the show during that news break was that there could be a potential partial government shutdown if they can't come to some agreements on spending. Uh, there's a potential that they could run out of money and, and partially shut down. So, uh, Dean, this isn't the first time that the government would have shut down, right? This has happened uh, a few times before in the past. It has, and and really, it's inexcusable. Honestly, it really is something that our Congress should come to uh, agreement on, on both sides of the the bench, and just say, hey, you know, we got to make this work, because 
there are things that will uh, have to shut down, obviously, if, if there's no money, uh, no spending approval uh, by the Congress. And one of the things, you know, if somebody's planned to go to a national zoo or a national park, uh, those services will be closed during a government shutdown. Mm. Uh, the last time there was a shutdown, uh, there were about 800,000 uh, government employees who were told not to come to work, you know, and all those services disappear for people. So it's actually, you know, the people who depend on those services, the people who, uh, you know, those who are not in Congress are the ones who suffer. And uh, it really is a lot to me of a political, excuse the French, kind of pissing contest that's going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was wondering, uh, you know, because they were saying, well, who are they going to blame the shutdown on if if it happens? Are they going to blame it on the Democrats? Are they going to blame it on the Republicans? And, you know, the Republicans have the control in the House. So who would the blame fall on? Both? To some extent, both. I mean, really, you know, obviously, I think more blame has to go fall on the majority party. They they could get it done if they could work together and figure it out. But uh, there's enough blame to go around. And the fact is, we, we send people to Congress to function. And uh, and, you know, this is something that they know when they need to approve uh, raising the spending limits and, and, you know, go go forward. They know this is coming um, and uh, we shouldn't get to this brink literally every time uh, it comes up. And it seems like that's ha what's been happening lately. Some things that, you know, for people just to, to reassure people, you know, if you if you get Social Security, for example, that won't stop. Uh, our military uh, spending will, funding will not stop. Uh, things like, well, the IRS will still function. Mm. That may not make people happy. Uh, you'll still get mail delivery. So some of, the, some of those uh, essential functions will continue. But uh, uh, my wife has a really good friend that works for the Environmental Protection Agency, and you know she was furloughed last time. I imagine she'll be furloughed again. And they do important work, and, and that work will be shut down for as long as, as Congress can't get together. And I was reading a little bit um, about the way that the public could be affected by a government shutdown. One of the effects would be that you may not be able to get loans or gun permits, depending on how long the shutdown lasted. So that's a huge impact on the public for folks who are trying to get a federal loan. You know, if you're trying to get a house or something like that. Um, yeah, that's a that's a big impact. It really is. You know, small businesses that rely on that money, small business loans. You're right. If you've got a, if you're looking for a gun permit. Uh, alcohol, alcohol, tobacco, firearms, and explosive, uh, you know, that bureau is going to be shut down. So, you know, a lot won't happen. Uh, and again, I think it's probably something that Congress could handle better. Well, 877-MPB-RING is the number. Today we're going to be talking about different political and legal topics uh, that are in the, the news current events we'll be talking about today. Uh, we just learned a little bit about that partial government shutdown that may or may not happen. If you have any questions or comments about that, you can give us a call. And we're also going to talk about free speech on college campuses and talk about that in general as well. 877-MPB-RING is the number we'd like to know. Do you think that anyone should be allowed to speak at or on a college campus, uh, whether they are controversial or not? You can give us a call at 877 MPB ring that's 877-672-7464 or email legal terms at mpbonline.org. All right, Professor Gerson, so let's talk about uh, this huge event that, that happened at Auburn University. Uh, Richard Spencer, who has been described as a white nationalist by some uh, white supremacists by many, he um, was going to speak on the campus of Auburn University 
and pretty much a riot broke out. You know, there were protests and some some physical altercations. Uh, now, did he still end up speaking or, you know, did they not allow him to? He ended up speaking. And what, what happened was actually a, a, a court intervened uh, and said that uh, not allowing him to speak would, would violate free speech rights. And apparently, interestingly enough, I read a review of his speech. He, his speech uh, was described as boring hmm. uh, and not that interesting. Um, you know, and, and really, I think most people realize that uh, someone who speaks, you know, in terms of white supremacy, uh, it, it really is outdated and, and really, you know, he really didn't have much to say of any substance. And so, uh, you know, I read a review in the in one of the Alabama newspapers, that just, you know, hey, after all that, it really just wasn't that interesting. And he didn't have uh, any ideas that were particularly coherent. So this is very interesting because many would consider what he says hate speech. So when it comes to hate speech on a college campus, legally, is that still allowed? Well, Sharita, the First Amendment really does not contain any language about hate speech at all. Uh, you know, there are reasons to uh, regulate speech, certainly. And, uh, you know, they're fighting words, things that have no social value other than uh, causing harm. Uh, but generally speaking, hate speech is one of those things. It's really hard to define because what's hate speech for one person may not be uh, hate speech for another. You know, I, I, this is my my personal belief is that, you know, the, the, the whole idea of free speech is a marketplace of ideas. And uh, the University of Illinois, for example, had a, had a similar type of speaker a few years ago. And uh, the university thought about uh, canceling that speech. But there was a guy named Matt Hale. He's a notorious racist. And he was uh, asked to speak at the University of Illinois uh, in Springfield. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't the, uh, the main campus. He's a leader of the World of the Creator, which is a white supremacist group. Um, and his presence on campus was controversial, but the, the campus leaders decided to let him speak. And then people spoke out afterwards about why they disagreed with his speech, why his speech was wrong, outdated. And, you know, that, those numbers way outnumber the people who... Uh, supported his speech. I think that's a better approach. You know, that's really what how, how the free free marketplace of ideas is supposed to work. Now, but there's a difference between uh, uh, speech like that and action, and I think that's important. Burning a cross on somebody's yard is an act. Carving mm -hmm. a, we had a swastika carved into an elevator here uh, earlier this year. That's not speech. You know, right. and and that that's a, an, a hate act. And there are hate crimes. That, there's a difference. So if I uh, if I am uh, attacking someone uh, and I'm motivated because of their race or their religion, that's a hate crime. Uh, and and so while you know my my speech may not be regulated, my action can be, and that's an important distinction. I think sometimes people lose that distinction. Yeah, and and just a, a note: Auburn University is in Alabama. For those who don't know, they have a pretty large school population, and of course, Alabama has just been uh, grounds for lots of uh, racial tension and many historic events there. So you can kind of see why that situation was pretty controversial in that state. Uh, we do have a couple calls to get to. Frank is in Jackson with a comment. Good morning to you, Frank. What do you have for us today? Yes. Good morning. Good morning. Talking about speech. Uh, the Citizens United decision by the Supreme Court said that uh, money is speech and it reinforced the concept that corporations are people. Well, before he passed, Antony Scalia wrote the majority opinion on a, a local case where a city council uh, passed legislation that said that if 
a council person received money from anybody of a certain amount, they could not vote on any issue that relates to that individual or that donor. And Scalia said that is certainly constitutional. But what has been happening, the states are going around passing omnibus legislation saying that local municipalities cannot do that. My question, I guess, is constitutional. What does the Constitution offer as protection for citizens against states doing things like that? Well, so in other words, you're talking about that a person can't vote on an issue where they've gotten support from somebody. And that's, you know, I think that's really less of a constitutional issue and more just an issue of conflicts of interest. You know, really, that's some of the things that have gone on in terms of the Trump administration about his entanglement and his businesses. You know, there was a State Department post touting his resort down in Florida that was taken off the site because, you know, he shouldn't be using his office to promote his own interest. And I think that's really what's happening at city councils is that, you know, there's two they're too entwined that if I shouldn't be using my office in my own interest and afford my own business interest and those of my friends. I agree with you. Then then you end up with Citizens United, which seems contrary to that concept. And I I have, in my opinion, Citizens United was wrongly decided. It's caused a lot of problems in our political arena. It means that outside money often influences the politics in our state, uh, and a lot of outside money comes in to uh, support candidates from people who, do, who have no stake in what happens here. So I think the real issue is the problem with Citizens United. But I do think on a, on a, a level, you know, uh, judges uh, and uh, other people who uh, make decisions uh, about, um, you know, day-to-day people's lives, city councils, things like that, should not be influenced by money or their own interests. They ought to be acting in the interest of the public. I've said a lot of times, you know, they shouldn't be self-service. They ought to be public service. And uh, and that that those laws are really designed to make sure they are more likely to do public service than self-service. All right, Frank, thank you for your call. We appreciate it. We're going to go to the next call. Timothy is in Louisiana with a government shutdown comment. Hey, Timothy. Oh, Timothy, you're breaking up pretty badly. I'm going to just put you back on hold and see if we can't uh, fix the connection issue there, Timothy. Okay. Uh, now we're going to take a quick break. This is in legal terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sharita Brent in studio. Well, he's not in studio with me. Professor Richard Gershon is joining me from the law school at Ole Miss. And we're talking about some current events this morning. And if you want to join the conversation, you can. 877 MPB Ring. We started talking about the government shutdown, and we'd like to know if you have any comments, questions, or worries about this potential government shutdown. Additionally, we're talking about free speech and hate speech. Do you think anyone should be allowed to speak on college campuses? Do you think there is a difference between hate speech and free speech? 877-672-7464 is the number, or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.
And welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sharita Brent, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Today we're talking about some current events in the legal and political spheres. Uh, we've talked about uh, the government shutdown that could potentially happen this weekend. If you caught that story and you want to uh, join the conversation with any questions or comments or concerns you may have about a partial government shutdown, what that might mean for you, call us at 877-MPB-RING. Additionally, we are talking about free speech on college campuses. Are you one who believes that anyone should be allowed to speak on a college campus, whether they are controversial or not? You can call us, 877-MPB-RING. And we'll also get into uh, some incidents that have been happening uh, with airline flights, uh, some physical encounters that have been very uncomfortable to watch on social media for sure. But we'll talk about your rights as an airline passenger a little later in the show. But we'd love to hear your questions and comments this morning. If there are any events, current events that have caught your eye and you'd like to uh, talk with us about, give us a call 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. All right, we'll go back to the phones. Lawrence is in Jackson with a comment. Hello, Lawrence. How are you today? I'm all right. How are you? Doing great. What's your comment? Well, I think we not only need to allow controversial speakers on uh, campus, but we have a duty to allow it. Because if you're thinking like 100 or so years ago, controversial on college campuses would be talking about uh, women's right to vote or uh, African-American rights, that kind of thing. And like now we're talking about things like men's rights on college campuses. And that's some feminists groups think that that's hate speech but you know what they want to talk about is men's rights like when men get abused what rights do they have when men get raped what rights do they have when we come to custody battles what rights do men have what rights do men have you know it's that kind of thing where women have come so far but uh, men are kind of stuck with a long time ago but that's considered hate speech I, I don't know I guess I'm rambling a little bit but um, what do you think about that yeah, you make some some really good points there, uh, Lawrence. And Professor Gershon, that's what um, someone said on the CNN story, that, that the middle ground on campuses is in danger of becoming quicksand, a place where neither side dares tread. One student said there's no test, just an escalation of hostilities on both sides. Um, where there's no argument, there's no progress, no more progress. That's what a 21-year-old senior said. So your thoughts on this idea that controversial speakers on college campuses uh, could be helpful in some way. Well, I'm an educator, and I, I actually agree with Lawrence. I think, you know, for to really have a full education, you have to hear different points of view. And, uh, you know, as a, a law professor, we teach critical thinking here, and part of what I want our students to do is listen, read, research, and, and really come to their own conclusions based on what they hear. And sometimes you, what you hear is crap, I mean, truthfully, but you still, I think it's worth hearing. Uh, and I don't. I, the other thing that worries me is censorship. Um, you know, there's an organization over in Tupelo that wants to talk, you know, about what's decency and, and be able to uh, tell people what they should watch on TV and what's decent and what's not decent. You know, that to me that that gets well into censorship. I'm not the authority on what other people should be hearing, what they should be watching. Uh, that, you know, that's part of free speech, too. So, you know, from an educational point of view, though, I do think exposure to lots of different points of view is important. And at the same time, uh, students have the right to protest if they want. Absolutely. But, you know, that again, you know, protest is something that is part part of our right. But uh, certainly organizations like like the universities 
can control time, place, and manner. Uh, because you know we don't we don't want disruptions of classes and, and riots. I mean, we, you know, we got to think there's partly they're the rights to free speech, and then they're also the fact that we are a community, and you voluntarily enter into this community if you're part of the University of Mississippi or Auburn, and so you know you have some responsibilities to the community as well. And so it's re- it's a very hard time, I think, to be a chancellor or a provost uh, at a university because you got to balance those rights. And so, yeah, students should be allowed to protest, should be encouraged to protest if they disagree, but they need to do so in a, in a, 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 a manner that is um, respectful and, uh, and not disruptive. But also it doesn't um, you know, cause any uh, physical harm because physical harm, then you move away from speech and into an area that's an act. And acts are not protected in the same way by the, by the First Amendment. You know, it's so interesting to me, just being an observer and thinking about my own time in college, which was just uh, eight years ago that I graduated. And I don't remember really having these these issues. I mean, I went to a historically black college university. I went to Jackson State University and things were pretty peaceful. You know, we didn't have any controversial speakers. I mean, uh, President uh, Barack Obama, when he was trying to become president, came to the campus. And I just remember being, um, you know, pretty peaceful and didn't have many experiences like that. But it seems that with the, um, you know, with things going on on social media, there are so many issues being raised now. It seems like every day there's a different group or a different hashtag. And so I, I do wonder how social media, um, you know, are, are affecting the way that we actually function on college campuses and in life in general, because it seems like a lot of it comes from uh, different things starting on social media. I think that's probably true. And what happens on social media is people tend to listen to people who agree with them. Yeah. And, and it builds up and then they can they can shun or cut off people who disagree with them. And, and we lose that opportunity for discourse and dissent and disagreement. Uh, you know, um, one reason why a, a robust press is so important is because the the press, whether you agree or disagree with what the press is putting out there, it, it, we don't we don't get information uh, otherwise unless the press is free uh, to report. And then we have to critically think about, all right, well, what, what am I saying looks like facts and what am I saying looks like opinion? We have to, we have to think that through ourselves. But if you take away their right to report, then we lose that opportunity uh, to make those decisions ourselves. Yeah. We have a couple more calls to get to. Annie is in West Point with a question. Good morning to you, Annie. What do you have for us today? Oh, good morning. Um, it was my understanding that the airspace above private property to a certain degree was private to the owners of the property. With the advent of drone testing, what's that going to do to privacy? And um, who made the decision and why were citizens not allowed to vote in the matter? It's a good question, Annie. That was my understanding, too, that the space above you is yours if it's on private property. Uh, any thoughts on that, Professor Gershon? Yeah, yes, it is to some extent. So the, the FAA is going to have um, maps that they're going to put together to try to, like they do with airlines. I mean, you know, we can't, Delta Airlines, if they want to fly over my airspace, I, you know, they have the r- rights under uh, federal law and under, under the FAA. So the FAA does have some authority over airspace, including drones. And they will put out maps uh, up where drones are allowed and where drones aren't allowed. Um, I do think you'll have uh, an opportunity to uh, 
to to comment on on those maps, uh, and I would uh, encourage you to to do so if they encroach on your airspace. But I, my understanding is they're going to try to avoid uh, populations and, and houses as much as possible because if, you know then all of a sudden you start getting into liability issues as well if the drone crashes on somebody's property. So it's a lot like airlines try to. Uh, take routes that take them, you know, so that uh, they're they're least intrusive. All right, Annie, the, does that answer your question? Well, in part, I still would like to see the proposal and allow the citizens of the state to vote on it. Okay. Well, I don't know, Professor Gershon, is that something that you've heard about in the legal sphere about a potential drone testing vote by the people? No, I haven't, but um, you can go to the uh, FAA.gov website, and they've got something about the fact that uh, beginning April 27th, users can a- access the facility maps at their site, uh, so you'll know where they're going to be. You know, uh, the, the federal government, because of uh, military reasons and, and uh, air transportation reasons, has um, really a lot of rights to airspace. It's the same, it's the same idea, really, as... Uh, the fact that the electric company, for example, or the gas company has some ability to come on your property, even uninvited, to service you know their lines, uh, and it's called an easement. And I think really what we're talking about here is probably an easement that uh, comes from owning property here is that, that in anywhere in the country is that there are certain easements that the federal government has for, for airspace um, if they think it's in the, the best interest and, and you know things like airlines being able to fly and transport people. We'll talk about them later. But, uh, you know, th- so I, th- I think, you know, it's, it, it's probably a hard case to win. Uh, we actually will be having on the show in a couple of weeks someone who's going to talk about drone law and, uh, and, uh, and those types of issues who will know a lot more about it than I do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Annie, thank you so much for your call. We appreciate it. We go next to Judy, who's in Oklahoma with a comment. Hi, Judy. What do you have for us? Okay, I want to talk about... Um, uh, free speech on college campuses. Mm-hmm. I'm a little older than, than you, my dear, and I've uh, been on college campuses for ten, uh, sorry, for four decades now mm-hmm. in various campuses, HBCUs and HWIs. And uh, never before have I seen this kind of virulently uh, racist kind of caliber uh, uh, that many of uh, these speakers, obviously, or uh, white supremacists calling themselves alt-right, which is uh, a euphemism for white supremacy, and all you have to do is look at the uh, Southern uh, uh, SPLC uh, uh, literature to see how they have increased by 400-fold ever since President Obama set it up. But as far as social media is concerned, uh, you know, uh, as you said, and influencing people, it's not so much social media, I would say, not, not that I'm totally disagreeing with you, they part, but Overall, uh, the overarching influence for these kinds of speakers and for the divisiveness uh, it comes straight from the top, and that's from the White House. So we have a president who ran uh, on uh, divisiveness and uh, sexism, racism, all the isms. And as long as you have that kind of political atmosphere and uh, a leader of a whole country uh, of the free world giving license to people to be mean-spirited, then you can continue to have this. Now, on one of the college campuses I taught maybe about two decades ago, uh, there was a speaker, uh, uh, Jensen, who uh, you know has this 
idea that African Americans are genetically inferior to white. First of all, he's not a geneticist. Uh, I'm sorry, William Shockley, who abides by Jensen's uh, uh, so-called philosophy. And so uh, faculty members on that campus uh, told the administration, okay, uh, well, first, they disagreed with this coming. And secondly, they said, okay, he can come, but you must have someone on the same day as with an opposing point of view. Hmm. Uh, so uh, as the uh, law professor said, you know, we're supposed to be teaching student, uh, students uh, critical thinking, but you must realize in the state of Mississippi, many of these students have attended Lily White academies, let's face it, that were uh, formed uh, to defy uh, desegregation. Uh, many of them were homeschooled, and so they have a monocultural, monolithic point of view about life and certainly about people who are not Christian, people who are not Caucasian. So when you already come into an atmosphere like that, and even though I, I heard him say that Spencer, you know, gave a boring speech, nevertheless, he well knows and white supremacists know that they galvanize groups of people who think like them just by their mere appearance on a campus. Mm. Secondly, and this, this occurred at a, recently at a university, that uh, faculty said, okay, we will let people with opposing points with supremacists perhaps once the view come, but they have not, some of them have not been properly vetted. They are not academicians. They don't have any credentials. They're just simply people spouting off racist ideas. That's number one. Secondly, on the airline situation, uh, it would seem to me that, uh, you know, as, and I fly very often, that while we're in the concourse as uh, passengers, that we should be told, okay, your seat might have to be given up. But nobody, nobody who's paid their hard-earned money for these price tickets should be dragged off an airplane. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Judy. Uh, those are some, some good comments. Um, one thing I wanted to follow up on that Judy mentioned was this idea that when someone like a Richard Spencer goes on a college campus that he galvanizes and his mere appearance is effective. And I guess that's a, a worry that I have, that if he comes, there will be some kind of recruitment process or, you know, membership is going to go up after he leaves. And there may be some kind of you know, consequences from him coming. But I guess from a from a legal standpoint, if he's exercising his free speech, is there much that can be done about the after effects of his appearance slash presence, Professor Gershon? Well, Judy raised a good point. I mean, one is to have a, an opposing point of view on the same panel with him. Mm -hmm. The other is, one, one is, you don't invite him. You know, uh, that once, you know the, the key is once he was invited to that campus, then, you know, then... The organization that invited him, I think, has some free speech rights, um, and, and I don't, I don't agree with those position, that position uh, that, that he stated, but he has a right to state it. Uh, so, you know, that's one way to do it, though. And then to do some education afterwards, to have you know, some classes afterwards to talk about what the speaker said, and to, and to have some conversation with students who, who may never have been exposed to whatever the speaker said, but also, you know, kind of a counterpoint to talk about, you know, some actual history, things like that. You know, um, yesterday was uh, Yom HaShoah uh, for Jews and and other people around the world who uh, wanted to commemorate the Holocaust. Um, and you know, there are people who deny the whole that the Holocaust happened, despite all the evidence to the contrary. I have heard one of those Holocaust deniers. Um, you know, there's no history, there's no fact to what they're saying, but nonetheless, 
I, it, it was actually good for me to hear what they're saying because then I know what evidence uh, shows that they're wrong. So, you know, I, it makes me mad that they say it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that speech makes you mad is not why it should be banned. Though. Yeah, the, that's a good point. And, and I don't think that it's um, unintentional. I think it's probably very intentional that someone like Richard Spencer would be going to a college campus uh, to to speak with those students who may be a little gullible uh, mentally, I don't know. It's, it seems pretty strategic. Um, and I don't, man. If he would come to an HBCU, that would just be that would be horrible. If he were invited somewhere like like Jackson State, that just would not happen. And it puts the like you said, the chancellors and the presidents in a very interesting position for those students that are vying for him to get there and, and for those students who may feel offended by him being there. I, I wouldn't want to be in that position. And, you know, with state schools, the way it works is we actually have money that we give to different organizations. And that's how we, that's how we have a spe- you know, free speech on campus in, in a lot of ways. You know, the, for example, our Christian Legal Society can invite speakers uh, to talk about religion. And, and even though we're a public school, that's perfectly appropriate, and that's how they exercise their, their, their legal rights, and they do, a, they do a great job. So we give our student organizations, you know, uh, on all political spectrum, uh, you know, some money to use. They can invite speakers. So in some ways, it's out of the chancellor's hands. It's out of the, uh, the university's hands to some extent who is invited by a particular organization. Um, those are those students exercising their rights uh, to invite someone, which is why I don't think we should censor that. But I think we should use it as an educational moment. Yeah. All right. Well, it's time for a break. And we'd love for you to join the conversation this morning. We're talking about some current events in the legal and political spheres. We started out talking about the partial government shutdown that could happen toward this weekend. If you have any questions, comments or concerns about that, give us a call. We've also been talking about free speech on college campuses. If you have any thoughts on that, do you think anyone should be allowed to exercise their free speech rights on college campus, no matter if they're controversial or not? And after this break, we'll get into these airline uh, incidents. And we've seen some physical encounters there with passengers being dragged off and some, some footage being shown on various sites. So we'll talk about that. Your rights as an airline passenger 877 mpb ring is the number to join the conversation we do have some lines open 877-672-7464 or email legal terms at mpbonline.org this is think radio this is an mpb think radio podcast To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent, joined today by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Today we've been talking about some current events that are politically or legally charged. We've talked about the partial government shutdown, free speech slash hate speech. And in just a moment, we'll talk about some incidents that have been happening on these airlines and making national headlines. So we'll talk about your rights as an airline passenger. 877-MPB-RING is the number. That's 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. We do have a couple lines open if you want to join the conversation and uh, plenty of time left. Earlier, we had a caller who was concerned about drones being uh, flown over her private space. And my producer, Jay White, Professor Gershon, brought um, 
a, a story in here from businessinsider.com, I believe. And uh, one of the, the snippets is, if you have a fear of drones invading your personal property and even spying on you, there's now a way to prevent that. It's called noflyzone.org. So the U.S. initiative allows the public to set up restricted airspace above their homes. We first heard about the scheme from TechCrunch. Um, so that may be something to Google, this noflyzone.org uh, technique here. Professor Gershon, is this something that you've heard of? It's not, but I think it's great. I mean, I'm, I'm glad to hear about it. Uh, and uh, we'll investigate it. So thanks for bringing, the, bringing that to our attention. And as I said, we will have a show on drones in, in, in just a couple of weeks. And uh, that should be really interesting and informative. And maybe we can all uh, learn some things that can help ourselves. Of course, if Amazon wants to deliver to my house using the drone, I still want to let them. <laughs> right. That would be cool. Um, uh, Melanie is in Madison with a comment on free speech. Good morning to you, Melanie. What do you have for us today? wanted to comment about uh, the First Amendment and uh, freedom of speech and certainly about the things that have been going on in Berkeley and and hate speech, uh, which, of course, there has been a lot of. And, yes, it's been emboldened, certainly, by the, the Trump administration. But I still do think, and I personally believe, that your First Amendment rights should be pure and for that reason, those people should still be allowed to speak. Um, the incremental loss of any right is going to just cause erosion, more erosion, uh, a lot of backlash on either side. And I had heard recently, um, either online or on a, on a talking head show, if, if you're not interested, I mean, if you want to fight against it, ignore it, don't go. Um, so I, I'm, I'm personally, and I do support First Amendment free speech. I think even someone like Ann Coulter should have that. Um, so it is your it is your personal freedom to ignore it totally. All right, uh, Melanie, thank you for that call. And yeah, they were. I read somewhere that Ann Coulter was. Uh, had been invited to speak, and they were trying to block her coming as well. Professor Gershon, any thoughts on Melanie's comments? I think Melanie, hit, for me, I, I would agree with her. I think the, first, the, the reason the First Amendment is there is to protect free speech, even, even speech we don't like. Because who's to decide? That's what worries me, is if the government decides what speech is acceptable and what speech is not acceptable, then we, we start moving towards a totalitarian state. So we have to we have to be able to hear ideas that we, or, or ignore ideas that we don't uh, we find repulsive, repugnant, um, and and learn from them and, and learn to you know to find the evidence to dispute them. Uh, you know that's yeah you know, I'm a, I'm very much belief and show me show me the evidence you know show me the evidence. Uh, you know again the Holocaust deniers don't have any evidence. Uh, they just don't want to accept the fact that something horrible like that happened. You know, the fact that there's genocide still going on around the world, a lot of people want to just uh, deny. Um, and, and I think, in, you know, instead, I want to see the evidence that those things do happen so that we can take action to, to help the people who are uh, being, uh, you know, treated, treated so poorly by their governments, even being killed by their governments. Melanie, thank you so much for your call. We appreciate it. We go next to Alexis, who's in Starkville with a comment about free speech. Hi, Alexis. What do you have for us today? Hi, uh, I was just calling. I have actually taught on a college campus before, and every time I open my class, one of the first things I talk about, I have this Aristotle quote where it says, 
it is the mark of an educated mind to entertain a thought without accepting it. Hmm. And then I use that sort of as my icebreaker to my students to say, you, now we might talk about some controversial topics, but I'm not asking you to accept this idea. I just want you to entertain them. And one of the reasons I want them to entertain other ideas that challenge their views is so that they can have a stronger argument. If you know what the other side is going to argue, you will be able to have a stronger argument in. And I think this whole idea of free speech and inflammatory speech sort of brings out this issue of it challenges us as educators to better prepare our students to deal with these types of things. We can't protect them from it, but we need to give them the tools to be able to know what to do with it when they encounter these ideas. Alexis, that was an excellent quote. I want to post it as my Facebook status right now. Could you repeat it just for just for <laughs> the people who may not have heard it? Absolutely. It's, um, it is the mark of an educated mind to entertain a thought without accepting it. And mm-hmm. it's by Aristotle. That's really good. Uh, thank you so much, Alexis. Uh, you sound like a great teacher. Professor oh, Gershon, <laughs> did you have any additional thoughts? Just to thank Alexis for that. That was really, uh, that's it. I mean, this is, it's an educational moment. And, and, uh, I think, you know, there's a difference between education and indoctrination. If, if the students only hear one point of view, it's indoctrination. If they hear lots of different points of view, they, they make their own decisions, they uh, use their own critical thinking, then that's much more in the line of education. Yeah. Thank you, Alexis. We appreciate your call. Uh, we're going to go next to Caroline, who's in Yazoo City with a comment on free speech as well. Hi, Caroline. Oh, hi. Uh- uh, just a comment on a previous caller's uh, comment uh, uh, who said that you should ignore um, you know, statements uh, well, they be very uh, racist or whatever. Uh, I, I just want that caller to know that wouldn't have been a civil rights movement or a women's movement or a Native American movement because people have simply ignored uh, what people, mean-spirited people say. So, um that's all I have to say, that one needs to become, act, I mean, groups need to organize various groups to become activists against uh, hate speech, regardless of what it is. Thank you. All right, Caroline, we appreciate your call. Um, she she raises a, a good point, you know. Um, I think uh, Martin Luther King said at some point there comes a time when silence is betrayal, you know, so if you don't speak up about something that, you may be culpable and implicit in, in whatever is happening. Well, you know, and it's interesting. I think one one thing that shows maybe how far we have come as a society is that, you know, the speaker at Auburn is kind of a marginalized hate speaker, whereas in the 1950s he would have been mainstream. And and I th- and that that's important to remember because of the civil rights movement, because people weren't silent, because people took action. You know, things have gotten better. They're not perfect. But now we're much more of a multicultural society where, where people do have uh, more of a say. And so, you know, someone who's a white supremacist who come to camp, comes to campus is the, is the outlier. And that, that's not a bad thing. Thank you for that call, Caroline. And we had someone to call in who had uh, missed our earlier conversing about the partial government shutdown and wanted to know about the particulars of a government shutdown if it occurred. So if you could just kind of give a brief synopsis there, Professor Gershon. Well, again, if the, uh, the government shuts down and you're getting a Social Security check, you'll continue to get your Social Security check. Uh, the military will still uh, uh, be uh, in place. Uh, you'll still get mail. Um, I think that's generally a good thing. 
uh, and um, you know, and the IRS will still be able to collect taxes uh, and and function that way. Some of the places that will be shut down, the national parks will be shut down, national zoos will be shut down. So if you plan a vacation to one of those, that could impact uh, your travel. If you're waiting for a loan, uh, a small business loan, for example, from the government or a federally uh, funded mortgage or federally supported mortgage, that could be affected. Um, certainly the small business loan you're probably aren't going to have to wait for. And then if you're waiting for a, a uh, firearms license or permit, uh, that could be affected um, as well. So there are going to be some, some organizations shut down. Uh, the, the ones that are, quote, non-essential, places like the EPA, things like that, their employees will be uh, furloughed. It's not, a, it's not a good thing. It's not a good place for our government to be, and we seem to get here far too often. All right, 877-MPB-RING is the number if you want to join the conversation. Well, we're still talking about uh, some current events in the legal and political spheres, and we'd love for you to join the conversation. We're going to shift a little bit and talk about your rights as an airline passenger. There have been a couple uh, situations that have hit the, the national news about a couple airline passengers being physically encountered by airline attendants um, and even air airline police. I don't think I knew they had those, but uh, we're going to talk about those in just a minute. 877-MPB-RING is the number if you have any questions or comments about free speech on college campuses. That's something we've been talking about. If you have any questions or comments about uh, what you've observed and what you've read about these airline situations, you can call us as well. We do have some time left. So, Professor Gershon, the first story that went viral and was very, very uncomfortable to see. My grandmother called me and she was so distraught after seeing that man being dragged off the United Airlines plane. Um, so as as a passenger, now my understanding of that story was that they had asked passengers if they would be willing to give up their seat because someone else needed to take the seat. Uh, somebody of higher priority, I understand, they offered money. Uh, and I read that the, the man that was dragged off the plane initially said yes and then he changed his mind because he said he was a doctor and needed to get back to his patients and then they end up physically removing him from the plane so is it legal to physically remove or remove a passenger from a plane after they've paid for a ticket well i think it was terribly handled uh you know legal legal or not i mean the the airline really uh I think acted horribly. They they should have just offered him more money. That really what they should have done. Actually, the people that they they were bumping him for were their their own personnel that they were trying to get to to another flight in another city. Mm-hmm. And they should have put they should have just paid to put them on another airline. That would have been the right thing to do. There were so many ways they could have handled it that we don't even need to get to this point. And so um, whether it was legal for them to do it or not, it was just such a, a, a you know an outrageous thing. Um, you know, I almost feel like now when we go on the airline, they need to read us our Miranda rights as we're getting on the plane or something because hmm. it's like we're all under arrest. Um, I, you know, they're just I, I think everyone agrees that the airline could have handled this so much better and not gotten to this point. Um, that man has hired a lawyer. Interestingly enough, there was another incident involving a mother with a stroller that was removed from her. And this is where social media, you know, the, all eyes are watching. The whole world's watching. Um, and her stroller was taken away from her. as She was getting on on the plane. Uh, or actually you know, boarding the plane, uh, she was hit by the stroller. Apparently her baby was almost hit by the stroller. Uh, I, I think what the airline wanted her to do was check the stroller, and I'm not sure why they didn't just gate check it for her. They told her she needed, she should have checked it at the gate, so they were going to take it from her. Again, it was just mishandled. It's really just one of those things that, uh, you know, she's hired a lawyer, but, I mean, it's one of those things that airlines need to realize that, uh 
we are you know customers and need to be treated with some respect and decency it's already you're already packed into planes and and um you know it's already uh not that pleasant to fly and we don't really have other options so you know these two incidents just bring to the front that airline passengers really need to be uh, treated with a little bit more respect yeah things escalated really quickly and we no longer live in the days where things can just happen and there's no evidence of them i mean if you don't have any context you're just looking at a 15 second video and then there's immediate outrage so these attendants and whoever's on the plane they have to be really careful about what they do because once it hits the internet it's going to get twisted into uh, this thing that that may not even be factual or accurate exactly let me let me let me play devil's advocate for a second i know those people who work on airlines put up with a lot of uh unhappy people mm-hmm. you know that they're dealing with and that's probably got to be hard and it wears on you and it could be that maybe this mother was being unreasonable. Maybe, maybe you know, I, I think, you know, there, there's a lot that could go both ways. Uh, certainly that, you know, most passengers, if they're bumped, will say, okay, you know, I guess I'm bumped and, and take the money and get off. I mean, you know, they're really most of that time that happens without incident. Uh, and so, you know, there's, I, I have to believe that maybe there's some fault on the part of the passenger as well, that these passengers reacted maybe uh, in a way that was not what most people would do. But that being said, the airlines really have some responsibility then to try to de-escalate the situation. All right, we have a final caller. Mary is in Oxford with a comment about the potential government shutdown. Hi, Mary, what do you have for us today? Hi. I wanted to comment about the government shutdown. Um, I think that perhaps if our government um, members were fined for not doing their jobs, they might be more willing to come up with a solution. Hmm. Yeah, you might be right, Mary. <laughs> Professor Gersh. If other people don't do their jobs, then um, they're often fired. This is it true. It takes too long to fire these. <laughs> <laughs> All <laughs> right. We have a monetary uh, solution that might help. Anyway, that was my comment. Okay. Thank you for your program. I really enjoy it. Absolutely, Mary. We appreciate you calling. Professor Gershon, any thoughts on that? Just just get rid of them. <laughs> well, thank you for that, Mary. I mean, we do have the uh, the ability to do that by the vote, obviously. But the one th- I think, you know, there are other ways to hold our uh, people in Congress accountable, and that is to write them and to, you know, to be vocal about you, you want them to do their job. There have been some town hall meetings, for example, that uh, I think it's important for people in Congress to hear the fact that maybe their constituents aren't happy with the job they're doing. I always find it interesting that that the government has a separate health care, that Congress has a separate health care from the rest of us. You know, they were when they were voting uh, one way or the other to repeal the Affordable Care Act, it wasn't going to affect them in any event. If you put them under the same system, maybe they got to think about it a little bit more. So they're just, you know, they're kind of in a bubble. I didn't know uh, that. That is interesting. I, I did yeah. not know that at all. Oh yeah, hmm. they have they have a you know a whole different uh, retirement system, everything else. So when they're dealing with uh, with issues that affect us, they don't affect them. Wow. Well, that's something to ponder, uh, Professor Gershon. Thank you so much for being on today. And I'll say for those who are just curious about their passenger rights, there are a couple of websites out there: airfarewatchdog.com, and there are some articles on npr.org as well. Professor Gershon, thank you for being on today, and thanks for a great conversation. We appreciate everyone who called. If you did not get to call, you can always send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Thanks to Jay White for being my co-producer and board operator. Kevin Farrell was a call screener. Stay tuned. Uh, Southern Remedy, relatively speaking, is coming up with Dr. Susan Buttress. This is Think Radio on MPB.